Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. You've undoubtedly heard the saying that practice makes perfect. And you've probably also heard the saying that practice doesn't make perfect, perfect practice makes perfect. Both statements sort of imply that effective practice means avoiding mistakes. But what if that's not actually true? What if making mistakes on purpose has the potential to accelerate the learning process and lead to much better performance than avoiding mistakes? I know that sounds pretty backwards, but let's take a look at a teaching strategy that may tempt you to encourage students to do things the wrong way more often. Traditionally, the way you teach someone a new skill would be to tell them what to do or what not to do. Or alternately, you might show them what to do or what not to do. Of course, this can be a painfully slow process at times, and repeatedly correcting a student's mistakes can be demotivating and frustrating to both student and teacher. It can be tempting to conclude that the student is hopeless and doesn't have it in them to learn. But actually, the presence of the persistent error is a sign that learning has occurred somewhere along the line. They just inadvertently learned the wrong way really, really well. I had a teacher who would often turn the tables on me in situations like this. Instead of telling me what I was doing wrong, they would demonstrate and often slightly exaggerate what I was doing and ask me to be the teacher for a moment instead. It often made me cringe to see what I was doing, but it was a helpful way of bringing this error into my awareness and becoming clear on what not to do. And it turns out my teacher may have been onto something. Researchers at the University of Verona conducted a study of 30 13-year-olds learning how to perform the standing long jump in three sessions spread out over a three-week period. The main purpose of the first session was to simply gauge the participants' baseline performance. So the kids didn't receive much guidance other than that they should try to jump as far as possible and that they could swing both arms at the same time and jump with both feet to maximize distance. They performed three long jumps, and the average distance of these was their baseline score. Before the second session, the kids were split up into three groups. One group received instruction using an experimental teaching method called Method of Amplification of Air. More details on what this looked like in a minute, but the short version is that this method involves doing things wrong on purpose, not just doing things correctly. Another group received the traditional instructional method of verbal instruction and the third group received no instructions at all, and just practiced on their own. Each training session consisted of six jumps, 
after which the students were told not to practice the jump until they returned for a final test the following week. A week later, the students returned and performed three jumps each to see how well their training really stuck, with the average of those three jumps being their final score. And was there any difference between the groups? Well, indeed there was. The kids who received no instructions at all performed pretty much the same at both tests. They jumped around 159 centimeters on the first day of training and about 161 centimeters on the final day of training, a difference which wasn't statistically significant and is pretty much what you'd expect. On the other hand, the students who received instruction and feedback during training did improve over the course of three weeks. They started out at around 159 centimeters and improved to about 162 centimeters by the final test, a gain overall of about three centimeters. And though an improvement of just over an inch may not sound like a whole lot, this would have been the difference between meddling and not meddling in the men's long jump at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. So how did the amplification of error group do? Well, the kids who were coached using the method of amplification of error improved by an average of over 20 centimeters, going from about 159 centimeters on the first day of training to just under 180 centimeters three weeks later. This is almost seven times the improvement of the regular instruction group and would have been the difference between gold and bronze at the same 2020 Olympics. And all this in the same exact amount of training time. So what was so different about the amplification of error group's approach to learning? Well, before we look at the amplification of error protocol, here's what direct instruction looked like. Based on whatever mistakes, errors, or inefficiencies in jumping technique that the students demonstrated in their first session, the instructor identified the main error most responsible for causing their poor performance. For instance, maybe the participant's feet left the ground before their torso and legs reached full extension and alignment. And then they were told how to tweak their technique for better results. For instance, by extending their legs and torso completely before leaving the ground. Then the student would take a practice jump, where they were to incorporate this new information into their jumping attempt. Next, the students would get a free practice jump to experiment as they wished with no instructions given. The sequence was then repeated three times for a total of six practice jumps. On the surface, the method of amplification of error training was not hugely different from this. The only difference was that instead of being instructed to jump with the correct technique, they were told to exaggerate as much as possible the main error that the instructor identified. In other words, it started off with identification of the main error, and then they took a practice jump where they aimed to exaggerate that error. For instance, jumping or pushing off the ground using only their feet, keeping their knees and hips bent throughout with zero extension. Then the next step was to take a free practice jump where there were no instructions given other than just to do your best. And then here too, this process was repeated three times for a total of six practice jumps. What's cool is that in this method, the coach was able to use the kid's free jump as a way to gauge how effectively the student understood the nature of their error. Because if the free jump looked pretty much the same as the exaggerated error jump, the instructor would instantly know that they either hadn't truly identified the main error or the student wasn't really getting it. It seems pretty counterintuitive to practice doing something the exact wrong way, but the researchers explain that this actually deepens one's understanding of what not to do and initiates an internal search for a better way to perform the skill. After all, consistent errors are not a sign that we haven't done any learning, but rather that we have learned, only we've learned how to do something the wrong way consistently and automatically. The researchers state that this method is therefore 
more of an unlearning strategy than it is a reteaching one. It can be frustrating to keep saying the same thing over and over, and equally frustrating to hear the same thing over and over with no sign of change. So this strategy has the benefit of putting the student more in the driver's seat and empowering them to search internally within themselves for more optimal movement pattern rather than trying to do what they've been told. And sure, beginners learning a standing long jump is a far cry from an advanced musician trying to tweak a more intricate or complex sequence of movements, and the authors do acknowledge that there's more research in this area yet to do. However, there are other researchers who have found similar results in sports ranging from golf to swimming to track and field, so it seems like a promising approach indeed. You can find links to this week's study and other related practice hacks at bulletproofmusician.com blog. If you found this episode helpful, please do share it with a friend or practice buddy who you think would also enjoy experimenting with it during the coming week. And if you'd like to explore this sort of thing in more depth, whether it be to get more out of your daily practice or to get better at managing performance pressure and shrinking that gap between what you can do in the practice room and what comes out on stage, you can learn more about the live and self-paced courses that are available at bulletproofmusician.com courses.